What a beautiful song to prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord. Heavenly Father, may we now be still in thy presence as we come to your eternal truth and open your word. Father, thank you for encouraging our hearts through that beautiful song, Lord. Father, may we learn what it means to be still and to know that you are God. We'll thank you for what you say to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series, A Study in the Psalms. So if you'll turn to Psalm 27 with me, please. I think I... There it is. Excuse me. Psalm 27. Here's another Psalm of David. But what we're going to find beautiful about this Psalm in particular is David is going to basically show us or teach us four principles that we really can apply to our life and we need to apply to our own life if we are going to make it through the next trial, make it through the storm, whatever it may be. And so the first principle that we're going to learn is in verses 1 through 3. So let's read those three verses together. David begins, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense or strength of my life. Whom shall I dread or whom shall I fear? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. First principle we see here in these verses that David is writing about is trust in the midst of fear. Trust in the midst of fear. You see, we will, we will notice later that David, again, it seems like he's always in trouble or always going through some kind of uh, attack, many enemies. I can't even imagine what it would be like to live David's life. But here's a, a man that God chose to be the king of Israel, chose him as a boy, but he's, he, and he prepared him for this. But we're never prepared for what is to come in our lives, are we? How many were surprised this week at something that happened to you, right? And you just kind of said, where did that come from? I wasn't wait, didn't see that coming. And it, it hits your blind side. This happened to David over and over again. So David shares right off the bat concerning who the Lord is to him. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
light and my salvation. God, of course, brought light into David's life at a young boy. And then that light would guide David's footsteps. So David understood that only the Lord could be the light of his life. And he experienced that. And therefore, though he didn't know what the future held, he knew that the Lord, being his light, was going to shine a path that was going to show him the way to go, even through the midst of the battle. And then he says, the Lord is my salvation. And here David, I believe, is referring to uh, first the spiritual aspect of salvation, that that he came to know the Lord, that he is his Soul, when he dies, will go to be with the Lord. He's saved from the grave, saved from hell, and he will be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever because of his faith. And so he says, the Lord saved me. He's my salvation. But the second part of that is David saying, the Lord is my salvation because I have seen him save me in the past over and over again. The Lord has saved him. Time and time again, when David was up against a physical enemy of some, some kind, the Lord, in a miraculous way, saved him out of his troubles. And that's why throughout the Psalms, you read David writing, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me out of this hand. The Lord delivered me out of my enemies. So David, right away here, by him saying that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then he says, uh, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? The word defense. This is the idea that God is his fortress. That God is going to, to be his defense. Uh, and uh, another translation is for the King James, the Lord is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my defense. David knew where his strength was going to come from. It was going to come from the Lord himself. And nothing David could do, no matter how mighty a warrior was, he realized that I can't win this battle on my own. How many times we've fallen short, dear Christian, where the, we're in the heat of the battle. And, and we think that we can get through to the other side on our own. Say, you know, I'm a fighter. You know, I, I'm going to make this. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to let this get me down. And we, we you know, we, we try and gain all the strength we can, but it comes from the flesh, from ourselves. And we're not really relying on the God of our strength. The one who promised to give us strength in the middle of our weakness. David understood that it was God's strength that would see him through. And because of these three things. One, the Lord is his light. Second, the Lord is his salvation. Third, the Lord is his strength or defense. Those three things, what does that tell us when he says these right off the bat? It tells us that David 
trusted God in the midst of fear. Because there's fear. There's fear all around him. But do you notice what he said? He said, whom, whom shall I fear? Who, who shall I be afraid of? What person should I really be afraid of? And dear Christian this morning, what should you be afraid of? You came in here this morning and maybe there's something that is terrifying you. And it's gripped you and you don't know what to do. And perhaps the fear has gotten such a hold that, that you can't think right. You can't make this, the right decisions. Uh, it's affecting your family life and your relationships. And, and the, all the while, the fear has got a hold of us like chains around us. And, and what do we find? We find that we are not living in faith. We are not walking in faith and trust that God is going to see me through. That God is my salvation. That the Lord is my light and he is my strength. If I, David believed that with all his heart. That's why he said, yeah, he asked the Lord for deliverance. But he still said, but I'm not going to fear. Yes, I'll run for my life because I want to spare my life. But, uh, but I'm not going to be afraid, whatever may come, because I know whom I have believed in and is able, you know, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He knows who God is and he believed it. And I have to say to myself, Larry, do I today believe in who God says he is? And I've got to look to the past, the past of my life, and I've got to look back and say, yes, Lord, there was the time when you showed me that you were my salvation. And then, then I remember the time when the Lord was my light, when I felt like I was walking in darkness, and suddenly the light shone, and he basically said by his spirit, this is the way, walk ye in it. And then when was the last time you remember the Lord gave you strength through something that you never thought you'd make it through? That's what we have to hold on to. And that's what David was doing, no doubt. No, no, notice in verse 2, by the way, I want to point this out. Beginning in verse 2, he says, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh. See that term, devour my flesh? If you have the King James Version, it says, eat my flesh. Now, that's not a pretty thought, is it? No, it's not, not at all. But do you recall, does anybody recall when David might have heard someone say to him, I'm going to eat your flesh? Think about it. When did David hear someone say to him, I'm going to eat your flesh? Go ahead, just shout it out if somebody knows. Yes, you all know. Case dismissed, you're dismissed. Yeah, you, you, good job. That was wonderful. Yes, Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 43. Turn to it with me. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17, 
and see what took place. First Samuel 17, and let's go over to verse 41. First Samuel 17, 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. A ru- he was ruddy with a handsome appearance. In other words, if you want to use another word besides uh, you know, ruddy, I guess, shrimp. He probably looked at him and would have called him something like that. Well, who's this little thing coming up to fight me? You sent a little boy? Verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, here it is, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Now he didn't say he would eat it himself, but he basically said, there's going to be creatures that are going to be eating your flesh. No doubt David, as he's writing Psalm 27, these, this must have come to his mind. He has, gone, he has faced fear as a young boy, Goliath. And he heard the taunts. And the taunts behind Goliath, David knew was Satan. He knew it was the voice of Satan. He knew it was an affront to God. And Goliath was just an attack on David's God. And if you and I would remember this, that when you and I are confronted with any kind of evil, we must remember that when they attack you, it attacks you or me, it's an attack on God. Therefore, God is going to defend you and me. He promised he would. And so David knew that. So go back with me now to Psalm 27. We saw here David lays out the first principle that he trusted in the midst of fear. But now look at the second one, and that is found in verses 4 through 6. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. And in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle or hide me. In his secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing praise. 
Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord. The second principle David shows us here is that he desired to dwell in the house of the Lord. That was his ultimate desire on earth, and he he knew that it would happen in heaven. But David was thinking of the tabernacle, thinking of the place of worship. David's on the run, and he's fearful for his life, and he's thinking of the joy he had when he went to worship the Lord in the tabernacle. And when the people would come together to worship the Lord, along with the priests there, David would be part of the worship. And he, want, he longed to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, he knew the Lord was with him, but being an Old Testament saint, he didn't have the assurance or the promise that we have as New Testament saints under the New Covenant. And what is that? That is, see, the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, what did the Holy Spirit do uh, uh, when, when he dealt with saints and believers? He came upon them, and then many times he left them. Came upon them and left them. What does the New Covenant promise? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will stay with you. He will dwell with us. So we never need to be afraid or fear that we are going to lose the Spirit. That God is going to abandon us because he lives inside of us. Because this is his temple. Our body is his temple. But see, that's why David would sometimes fear that, Lord, are you with me? You know, because sometimes he, he didn't feel, and even though we have the Lord inside of us, maybe you don't feel like the Lord is with you sometimes. That easily happens to all of us. We get to the place where things aren't happening, there's no changes, and I'm going, Lord, are you, where are you? I've been praying, praying, but nothing's happening. Well, that's exactly what David is doing here. He's running to the presence of the Lord. And that's what we do here Sunday mornings. Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights. What do we do? We run to the dwell in the house of the Lord. You came here this morning, and I hope you came here this morning for the right reasons, and that was to worship him and to be in his presence with the body of believers and to sing his praises so that you might leave here refreshed and strengthened because you have worshiped your God and honored him. Look what David says about it here. He says, he says there that verse four, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to what? To behold his beauty, to meditate in his temple. And that's where that beautiful song comes into play, what the lady sang. Be still and know that I am God. That's meditation. It's not not the the Eastern meditation. You know that Eastern stuff? Meditation where you sit and and you sit there and you just, you know, they're they're teaching it everywhere now. And you just basically, uh, it it comes in many forms and you're, you're to empty yourself 
and allow nothing to be inside. Don't be thinking about anything. Have nothing in there. Sometimes I think I have nothing in there. <laughs> Many times a day. But, but it's that. That is so dangerous because I believe that opens the door up for the enemy. The enemy will begin to work on those who step out in Eastern religion, Eastern religious practices and mysticism, spiritualism, so that they, they follow what the, they take, what the Eastern religions ha, have to offer in mysticism, and then they applaud, say, well, maybe it'll work for me. And suddenly they realize that, that Satan was behind all that. And yes, Satan wants us not to think of the Lord, not to meditate. When he says meditate, he's not talking about opening his mind and, and, and leave it into nothing so that maybe something will come into it. No, it's meditation upon the Lord. It's meditation upon his word. That's what we're doing here this morning. And this is where David found his strength to go on. His desire to be in the presence of the Lord in his house, to meditate in the temple, verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me and he will lift me up. In these few verses, we note the many ways David referred to the house of the Lord. He called it his temple, his dwelling place, his tabernacle. And these all things, David found refuge, calmness, and peace. Because David, when he was in the house of the Lord, he felt contentment. He felt he was safe. And have you ever come into church and you, you just felt like the Lord was here? And then, then, then suddenly the cares that you were carrying this, this week just kind of kind of faded away for a while. And, and because your mind was meditating upon the Lord, and suddenly he, it became so real to you that your calmness just flowed over you and your troubled mind just began to, to, uh, to know peace, that peace that he promised. So this is what David did. This is the second principle. He desired to be in the presence of the Lord in his house. But let's look at the third principle, verses 7 through 10. Let's read along together. Hear, O Lord, David goes on, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When thou dost say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. There was David had been told, the Lord had spoken to David's heart and said, and he said it different times throughout Scripture, seek me, seek my face. That's when you will be blessed. So David's saying, Lord, I've done that. But then look at verse 9. He says, do not hide thy face from me. Do not turn thy servant away in anger. There's that feeling of, Lord, are you with me? Are you answering my prayers? Thou hast been my help. Now he's recalling to God times past. He says, Lord, you've been my help before. Then he goes on, do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. 
My father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Now that that kind of startles you when you read that he says, my father and mother have forsaken him. There's no place in scripture we find that David's parents abandoned him, you know, left him and says, all right, see you, we're gone. Actually, in 1 Samuel 22, verses 2 and 3, we read that David actually sent his parents to Moab for protection when David was on the run. So he was protecting his parents. But David is is just talking about the feeling of abandonment. But he says, the Lord, I know, Lord, you are always there for me. But what is David asking here? He says, basically, verse 7, when he says, be gracious to me. He's asking the Lord to be merciful to him. Be merciful to me. So what is these verses? It's a prayer. It's a prayer. And what is it? It is a prayer for mercy, a prayer for mercy. And that's what the Lord would desire of you and me, that every day, whatever circumstance it is where I am tested or I am unsure, I need to give a prayer of mercy and ask the Lord to be merciful to me, a sinner. I know I'm his child. But Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me, forgive me of my sin. And Lord, now have mercy upon me. And grant me, you know, passage through through the fire that I'm going through. The mercy of the Lord he is seeking. He's seeking his face and the mercy of the Lord. And he, you can see here that... He goes on and he says, verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. That doesn't mean just an easy path, but it means a level path, which means I can keep a firm footing on the ground against my enemies. But teach me thy way. There is no greater prayer and desire than to say this to the Lord. Lord, teach me your way. I don't know which way to go in my life. I don't have the answers. Lord, teach me your way for I know it's righteous. I know it's good. And I know it will please thee and it will be best for me. So he prays. He continues his prayer. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. There's those enemies. Do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen up against me, such as breathe out violence. So here is his prayer for mercy. But then we come then to the final principle or truth that David presents to us. In the midst of his trial. First, it was trust in the midst of fear. Second, it was a desire to dwell in his presence. And third, it's having a prayer for mercy. But the last one here is one that really spoke to my heart. 
And let's read it together, verses 13 to 14. It's the end of the psalm. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And here we see the fourth principle is wait upon the Lord. The end of everything else, you wait upon the Lord. How do I begin waiting upon the Lord? Well, you know, it starts in verse 13. He said, I would have despaired unless what? Unless I had believed in your goodness. Unless I had believed in the goodness of the Lord. And I cannot expect to live uh, through a day where I am going to have joy and peace and strength. And suddenly I'm facing whatever it is I'm facing that I don't like. If I don't believe in the goodness of God, I am going to live in fear. I'm going to fall on my face and I will have no strength because I've left God out of the picture. I have, because right away, what do we do when trouble happens? I start thinking, Lord, you deserted me. Okay, Lord, you just left me out here. Why did you allow this to happen? Why, why am I in such pain? Why did I get this news? Why did I lose this loved one? I don't understand. David said he would have despaired in every circumstance had he not believed, had he not believed in the goodness of the Lord. Dear Christian, this morning, would you this morning say, Lord, I believe with all my heart that you are good, that you are always good, no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, you are good, a good God. And then he says, and then what do we do then? Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Turn to Isaiah 40 with me real quick. Isaiah 40. Familiar passage. Perhaps some of you, it's your favorite passage of Scripture. Isaiah 40, picking up at verse 28. David's talking about waiting on the Lord. Well, so does Isaiah. Verse 28 of Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Who is it? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though earth's so though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly 
Yet those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength or gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not become weary. If I am not learning to wait on the Lord, I'm going to run out of strength. And maybe you're at that point this morning where you feel like you're so weak, you've run out of your own strength. Wait upon the Lord, I something will happen. He will renew my strength or give me his strength, new strength that I didn't have. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew, this word for wait. The word for wait is kava, Q-A-V-A, kava. But it has, now there are different Hebrew words for the word wait, but here and in uh, Psalm 27, the word wait is the word kava. And it has two meanings. Basically, it has a spiritual meaning and a literal meaning. The spiritual meaning is to basically, uh, or I should say figurative, is to gather, get close to the Lord. It, it, it has the idea, it, it means to gather together or to bind together. Now, it's interesting because if you, unless you look at this, you wouldn't understand it. It has the idea of a rope and strands. How do you make a strong rope? Is it just one string? If you make one string, you're going to have a strong rope? No, of course not. It would snap. What do they do? They take three strands and they wind them together to make one strong rope. And this weight has the idea of getting closer to the Lord as he is the rest of the rope and I cling to him and I hold on to him. That's my waiting. I've got to get closer to the Lord as, I'm, as I am trusting him, getting closer to him so that I feel his, like I'm, 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 I'm abiding in him. I, he's, he's such a part of me and I'm such a part of him that I get so close that I can, I can feel I'm, he's right with me. And the second meaning of this word is the literal, which means to wait, to wait patiently for something to happen. But it has the idea to wait actively with anticipation, actively with anticipation. It doesn't mean sit in a rocking chair and, okay, I'm waiting, Lord. You know, and then we get a, a, a angry face, grumpy, and the Lord, you know, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and stomping our feet, looking at our watch. No, this waiting that he's talking about is an expectancy wait. It means I continue to to do what pleases the Lord, to live for Him and glorify Him, and to honor Him, and all the while waiting for the time when God says, "I'm going to move now." I'm going to move. Dear friends, right now, today is a day that you can experience a renewed strength. But you and I have to make that decision. Lord, am I going to wait? 
Am I willing to wait on you? Let's pray together now. As we close the service here, if the Lord has been encouraging your heart, dear Christian, stay strong in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. And understand that he is your fortress. He is your rock. Go to him. Pray for mercy. Ask him to carry you through. And to believe in his goodness today. And then you'll be able to wait on the Lord. But if anything else you forget, take this and make this commitment today. Say, Lord, I believe you are good to me. And you are a good God. And to that I will cling to. Christian, if you need to make that decision this morning, a decision like that. You haven't committed yourself to the goodness of the Lord to believe it. And then live as if you believe it. Then make that decision now. Say, Lord, help me, Lord. Now, as I choose to believe. That, Lord, you're a good God no matter what. No matter what comes into my life, I believe you are good. And you have a purpose and plan through it all. And I will trust you. And I will wait upon you. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to accept Jesus as your Savior. You can't know any of this unless you know the Savior who can save you from your sin, who died on the cross in your place, took the punishment for your sin, shed his blood to forgive you and make you his child. But you've got to believe. You've got to come to the cross and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that now? If you've never done it, but you want to become a Christian today, would you pray with a prayer like this now with me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for me. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. Oh, I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed, eyes closed, if you prayed this prayer this morning, Jesus saved your soul. You've been born again spiritually. You're now a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven you, and you've been given eternal life. Welcome to the family. Father, thank you, Lord, for the truth you've given us this day. May we take hold and Father, may we draw closer to you, wait upon you, Lord, and believe in who you are. Thank you, Fathers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.